We're going to be over in Numbers chapter 22 this morning. Numbers 22. As we're getting there, I found these for us to ponder. 20 signs that you are getting old. Number one, you're asleep, but others worry that you're dead. <laughs> your back goes out more than you do. You quit trying to hold your stomach in no matter who walks in the room. You buy a compass for the dash of your car or truck. You are proud of your lawnmower. Your arms are almost too short to read the newspaper. You sing along with the elevator music. You enjoy hearing about other people's operations. You no longer think of speed limits as a challenge. People call at 9 p.m. and ask, did I wake you? You answer a question with, because I said so. The end of your tie doesn't come anywhere near the top of your pants. You take a metal detector to the beach. You know what the word equity means. You can't remember the last time you laid on the floor to watch television. Your ears are hairier than your head. You get into a heated argument about pension plans. You got cable for the Weather Channel. You're sitting in a rocker and you can't get it started. <laughs> well, folks, what we do and what we say locates us, doesn't it? What we do and what we say locates us. We talked before in this, this series, we've been on this series about doubt, victory for doubters. And a number of weeks ago, we switched over to the part of, of looking at how we can determine to know whether we believe in our head or believe in our heart. Because the Word of God, and we went through the Word of God, how it showed us that we need to become believers in our heart, not believers in our head, but when believers in our heart. And this is all good and this is all cool for most people in the area of salvation, in the area of heaven, in the area of forgiveness, in the area of righteousness. We're cool with this. But as soon as we get into things, changing stuff, religion comes out, doesn't it? Come on, all of our religion comes out. My religion comes out. Your religion comes out. All that, that'll bring out the religion and the best of us. And we get into that part where we're, th we're thinking, oh, no, no, no. But you see, we're, we're okay with the same principles working for heaven. We're okay with the same principles working for forgiveness. How many of you know that you're forgiven? How many of you feel forgiven? <laughs> but not always do. <laughs> are there times that we do not feel forgiven? But we still are forgiven. And we'll battle the devil on that all the time. I don't know where heaven is. I've never seen it. I don't know anybody who's been there. But I still believe I'm going. You can't shake that off of me. I don't know where my salvation is. I don't always feel that I have it. But I know it's mine. And we're okay with this. And we believe with our heart in salvation and righteousness and forgiveness of sins. But as soon as we get into anything else, we begin to get into religion. And so we set it out a number of weeks ago that uh, we needed to get this straightened out. Because, you know, we're, we're a church that believes in these principles, but we also believe in a lot of other things. And we've been spending a number of years on, on other things and hope and friendship and love and a lot of areas like that. But uh, we've, this time, you know, a lot of times I preface this with other churches and other states and other countries and things like that. But here, this church, we need to get this straight. Because we've got a lot of folks in this church right here sitting with us now. Not one or two. 
but a lot that are believing with their head thinking they're believing with their heart. So we got this ordinance from God, and I told God, I says, well, then God, you have to help me understand it. I mean, I, I, it's one thing to understand something, and it's one thing to explain it. You know, just think of those, uh, those old Lucy shows. Lucy, you got some splaining. We've got to be able to explain it. We've got to be able to get it clear into our heads, what we have. Because what we do and what we say locates us. And, and what we're doing and what we're saying is locating us where we are in the area of belief and doubt. But we think we're in belief. And God says, what you're saying and what you're doing locates you in the area of doubt. That's why you're not getting the thing that you need to have. Amen. We talked a number of weeks ago about hearing the Word, having the Word, and seeing it. There's a difference between just hearing the Word and possessing the Word. There's a difference from possessing the Word and actually seeing it come about. And, then, and during that week, that's what we were really trying to focus on. We had to get to the place where we see it. Too often, folks, we have been so caught up in our area of defeat that we see what we have. I'm not just talking about you there. I'm talking about me too. We can get so caught up in what is all around us, the defeat that is all around, that all we can see is what we have. And we've lost sight of seeing something different. And we went through the Word of God and we began to look at the different people that God put in front, something different than what they had. Abraham was one. Abraham, come on out over here. Look up at the sky. What do you see? I see stars. How many stars do you see? More than I can count. That's what your descendants are going to be like. I want you, you don't, but he's looking at what, what do I have? Nothing. What do you see? I see stars. And if that wasn't enough, God took them to another place and said, I want you to look at the sand on the shore. Can you count the sands? Can you count all the pieces of sand? And he says, no, it's, it's, it's beyond being count. That's what your descendants are going to be like. Can you see that? I want you to picture your descendants as the sand of the sea. I want you to picture your descendants as the stars of the heaven. What's God doing? Painting a picture, getting him to see something beyond what he has. Beyond what he has. He told Abraham, he says, I'm going to take your descendants and we're going to make them owners of this land. You see this land before you? Other people own it right now. But I'm going to give it to them. They're going to possess this. I want you to look to the north. I want you to look to the south. I want you to look to the east. I want you to look to the west. Everything you see is yours. Can you see it? But he says, it's not mine now. doesn't matter. Look to the north. Look to the south. Look to the east. Look to the west. What do you see? That's yours. We are too often looking at what we have and not looking at what God says. Joseph was another example. Joseph was given a dream that people were going to come down and worship him. Or not worship him, I'm sorry, bow, bow down because he was going to be a ruler. Excuse me. He's going to be a ruler. He even saw his, his parents and his siblings that he ruled over them. They didn't like to hear that. But God was filling his, his, his mind with visions of what would come and what would be. Daniel had visions of what was going to come. John had visions of what was going to come. Peter was told some things. This is what's going to happen. I want you to get a vision of this. This is where, where it's going. We are too often caught up with where we are and what's around us and we are failing to see what God has. God said Abraham down to the land that he had given him. And when Abraham got there, he found that the land was in famine. So he left. 
Why? Well, I looked around. There's famine here. Did God send them to Egypt? No. God says, I want you to go over there to that land. He got over there. He looked around. Oh, it's famine here. I'm going to leave. God didn't tell him to leave. Too often, folks, we've been sent into a place and we look around and it's, oh, I don't like this job. Oh, I don't like this neighborhood. Look at these neighbors. Too often we get, I'm not talking about being in a place you don't like and it's bad. I'm talking about God sent you to a spot. He said, go on in there. Go in there and work in there. I got a plan for you. I got a call for you to work in there. And we get in there. Oh, I don't like this. And we leave. (laughs) Come on. We've all done that, haven't we? We need to hear the Word. We need to become possessors of that Word. And we need to see that Word coming about in our life. The same way that I can see heaven waiting for me. The same way that I can see that I am the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I need to begin to see some of these other things the Word of God has said to me. Last week we were talking about doing what is right in the presence of good influences. Joash, as long as he was king, as long as Jehoiada was around, he was doing the good things, he was doing the right things, and he wasn't just doing it because other people wanted him to. He did it because he wanted to. But as soon as he got around other people, Jehoiada dies and he gets around other people, he begins to leave that and eventually even killed Jehoiada's son. He got that far off of him. We need to make sure that we don't get that far off on the things. We looked over at James chapter 1 before in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Do we believe the word of God? Yes, we we, we ought to. I don't care what denomination you're ever a part of. You better believe the Word of God. If you don't believe the Word of God, you're in trouble. And that's why we've always taught you from the moment we started this church until now, we have always taught you this. Whatever you are to do as a dominant thing in your life will be taught in the Word of God. It will be plain in the Word of God and it will be demonstrated by people in the Word of God. But too often, folks, we have gotten off to do things that are not done by people in the Word, that is not taught by the Word of God, but we think it's the Word of God because of religion. If you cannot find anyone who did it in the Word, you probably shouldn't be doing it. It's probably not what the Word of God taught. More than likely, if no one in the Word did what some brother or sister taught you to do, then more than likely, it isn't right. Because we find people in the Word of God doing what the Word of God taught. But I want to read this scripture to you in the New Living Translation. Verse 22. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says... And don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. A person who is not a forgetful hearer is one who continues. Who is a person who continues? A person who doesn't stop. If you stop doing what the Word of God told you to do, you cease 
to be one who continues, right? And then you become a forgetful hearer. There are no exceptions. Don't think, well, I'm an exception from this one. Nope, you're not. But I want to take you over into the Old Testament. Isn't it amazing that New Testament principles are demonstrated by Old Testament people? But they are. Things that were taught in the New Testament, we think, oh, wow, this is so special for us. Oh, here's somebody in the Old Testament doing the thing. <laughs> now, we've, we haven't covered this scripture in a while, but we've covered it before. And it's not a, one that you are unfamiliar with. But in Numbers chapter 22, verse 1, Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done unto the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. What was God's promise to Abraham? <laughs> Looks like they fulfilled it. Huh? And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Oh, have you ever gotten that way? Where a problem, something that you're facing, has gotten you to the point that you're sick with dread? Mm, that's what they're like. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people. They were exceedingly afraid. How many have ever been afraid of something? Imagine being exceedingly afraid. Fear is not good. Fear will not help you out. But they were exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Verse 4. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now, this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites, Moabites at the time. So here we go. Balak sees a problem. How many of you all know it does not take a special talent to see a problem? We all see problems, don't we? We can, all, we can find problems. We are good at spotting problems. You know, you think of some of the services that we have now. I mean, how many of you all remember when Internet was dial-up? I don't even know if they make that anymore. They do. And there are people that are still on it. Dear Lord. Do they drive cars? I just was wondering, you know, something else, trying to do something else. But you remember back in the, the days of dial-up and you would hear on your computer this, the familiar sounds? And then all of a sudden it would connect in. But sometimes you would dial up and you hear, eh, 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 and you have to try again. And you try again and finally it gets through and you're working and working and working on stuff. And now the phone's tied up and nobody can call you. You remember those days? And then came along DSL. You can be on the phone and on the internet the same time oh this is good and dsl was so much faster than dial-up you could do so many more things and you were thrilled with dsl because it was so much faster but it did not take long before between pretty soon you were saying oh this is so slow and then came along cable and cable had internet and cable internet was faster than dsl internet and you got on that and oh it was so fast and you were so excited about it. But then after a while, you got used to its speed. And pretty soon you were saying, Oh, this is so slow. But it's so much faster than what we had before. But no, this is so slow. And then Verizon came out with Fios. And they introduced it at a speed that was faster than cable. And then they upped it. And then they upped it again. And pretty soon we have speeds... 
that before you would need like a T1 line to get that. And how many of you still find yourself at times saying, I'm waiting for this. It's so slow. Why is it taking so long? And really, it's 10 seconds. But it seems like much longer. Because it is easy for us to spot problems. No matter how perfect the service. How many of y'all know you can find a problem? It is easy for us to spot problems. It is hard for us to count blessings. But it is easy to spot problems. So we're going along with this thing. Here's, here is Balak. He's looking at Moab. He's looking from Moab onto Israel. And it's easy to spot a problem. Now Israel has not come up to attack them. Israel has not threatened to attack them. It didn't seem to be in Israel's purpose to attack them. But he sees a problem. Because there are many people. Many people. There isn't a problem. But he sees one. How many of y'all know just because you see a problem, you can make one? There was no problem before, but now there is. Because you saw it. And you talked about that's what he's doing. He's speaking about this problem. What's he going? Do you see all those people? Do you, do you see how many of them there are? They're going to come. They're going to wipe us out. They're going to lick up everything. They weren't about to do that. Their land was on the other side. But he said, no, this is a problem. And he made a problem. And because of his actions, in the end, we're going to find out that Moab gets destroyed. But God didn't seem to intend it in the beginning. So he sees the problem. Many of us can see problems, but have a hard time envisioning an answer. It's easy to see a problem. It's easy to see defeat. It's hard to see an answer. Now, remember Peter in the water? Peter gets out of the boat. He sees Jesus there. Call me to come. All right, come on. So he gets on out there. He sees I can walk on water. Then all of a sudden, what happens? He sees a problem. There was no problem. He was walking on the water. The conditions that existed before he got out of the boat still existed after he got out of the boat. There was no problem, but he saw one. And he began to become afraid. And he sank. Remember, most problems that we have, we create. You can write that down. It's not in your outline. Most problems that we have, we create. They say all, but most of them that we have, <laughs> we create them. Because we saw the problem, we spoke the problem, and we acted on the problem. And guess what? We got a problem. Didn't have a problem before. When the children of Israel sent the spies into the land, was there a problem? No. When the ten spies came back, what did they see? A problem. What did they speak? The problem. What did the people see? Was there a problem? No. There was not a problem. But they saw one, they talked about one, and they had one. Caleb and Joshua, they don't see a problem. They don't speak a problem. They speak the answer. No, no, no. The land is before us. It's great. When David faced Goliath, did the children of Israel see a problem? Did they speak about a problem? Did they have a problem? <laughs> what did David do? He don't see the problem. I don't, I don't see the problem. What's wrong? The, the guy, he spoke against God. He's dead. This is not a problem. This is a glorious answer. Can you envision? This guy's dead. 
Anybody? None of you want to go? I'll go. I'll go kill him. <laughs> David speaks the answer. What's everyone else speaking? The problem. What's everybody else have? What's David have? <laughs> Do you see a pattern? When Daniel's getting ready to throw into the lion's den, does he see a problem? When his friends are getting ready to throw into the fiery furnace, do they see a problem? No? There's no problem here. Go ahead and heat up your fiery furnace. <laughs> Go ahead and heat it up. There's no problem here. Our God is well able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. <laughs> There's no problem. What do we do? We speak a problem. We have a problem. We possess a problem. But God doesn't want us to have the problem. Get out of having problems. Have answers. Speak answers. See the answers. How many of you is how many of you see a problem with your mansion? Is anyone having a problem with their mansion? Are there any building delays? Are any cost overruns? Anything going on with your mansion? Your mansion's just fine in heaven, isn't it? Is there anything wrong with the transportation between earth and heaven? Do you see a problem? Do you speak a problem? But do you know how this is going to happen? No, but there's no problem here, is there? We are creating problems. We are creating difficulties no matter how many times we see them in the Word of God where people created their own problems or people created their own answers, we still feel like our way is the right way. Well, glory to God, that was good. <laughs> Come on, folks. Stop seeing the problem. See the answer. If you can see the problem, you are as good as Balak. How many want to be in Balak's category? Yeah. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this company will look up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. Well, if you've got an example, I mean, that's great. You got an object lesson here. I mean, anything that you have with an object lesson has to be good. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at the time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call to him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. What book are we in? Is Numbers in the Old Testament or the New Testament? I'll tell you what, folks. It puts us to shame that a heathen king knows that the words of a righteous, godly man cause changes and we don't a heathen king who worshipped idols recognized that the words of this God-fearing man caused change this king this heathen king desired to have this man speak words more than his army to take up swords. A heathen king desires that a man of God would come and speak words and those words that this guy would speak would do more damage than his army. Oh, children of Israel. Oh, church and the saints of the New Testament. Oh, that we would 
see as clearly as he did. But what do we do? As soon as a problem comes up, what do we do? We speak the problem. We speak what we have. We speak what we expect because of the problem. What's God want us to do? Speak the answer. Speak what His Word tells us to speak. Speak faith. Even people in the Old Testament got it. And Balaam, this is not his first time, folks. He has been doing this for a while. So much so that a king knew about him. Now, it says that he is in Pethor. Anyone know where that is? Well, not too many people do. <laughs> I did some looking up, and the, and the best scenario that they can find that this thing is, because it's a long river and a little bit of location stuff, the best they could figure out is this place is about 400 miles away. 400 miles away. Now, you all know where my favorite place on earth is. Ocean City, New Jersey, my absolute favorite place on earth. From here to Ocean City, how many of you all know how far that is? That is 100 miles. 100 miles. Now, I want you to envision going to Ocean City and coming back. And then going to Ocean City again, and then coming back. 400 miles. Now, leave your car at home. <laughs> you getting the idea how far this is? Balak sends word to Balaam some 400 miles away. And there are no cars, there are no trains, there are no planes. Here's the thing. He doesn't send them once. 400 miles away is the answer. Now, if you had to walk 400 miles, how many of y'all would say that's too far? Come on, if the mall is four miles away and you had to walk, that'd be too far. So he says in verse 6, Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Look at what he says. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them. Perhaps, folks, is not faith, is it? <laughs> it involves what I wish to happen. How many people have you all said perhaps? Perhaps that might happen. Now, when we say perhaps, that locates us. Because it's something that we want to happen, but we don't think necessarily will happen. Perhaps this can go on. How many of y'all said, perhaps I'll get a raise. Perhaps I'll get a new job. Perhaps I'll get healed. Perhaps is not faith. It involves what I wish to happen, not what I believe will happen. When I say perhaps, it is generally because I believe something else will happen, but I wish this would. Now, compare this to the woman with the issue of blood. Remember her? I know if I just touch the hem of his garments, perhaps I will be healed. No. She didn't say that? No. <laughs> Why? Because she's in faith. She's not in wish mode. Wish mode is perhaps. Faith mode is this will. I know. It shall. As long as what we need depends on the actions of others, I will always see what might be. Balak says, perhaps I will defeat them because 
his actions are based on whether Balaam will come and curse them. As long as what we need depends on the actions of others, I will always see what might be. Because I can't control other people. I can't make other people do this. Certainty comes from knowing what God has provided, what He wills, and what I must do. I'll give that to you again. Certainty comes from knowing what God has provided, what He wills, or what He wants to have happen, and what I must do. That's where certainty comes. Most people err on one of these places. They don't know what God has provided. They don't know what the will of God is in this situation. And they don't know what I must do. The Word of God is filled with statements. If you do this, I will do this. So there are three things we need to know. First off, certainty comes from knowing what God has provided, what He wills, and what I must do. Verse 7, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? You think God doesn't know? Ah, where are these guys? I, mean, I came here, and all of a sudden there's people in your house. Who are they? Where did they come from? God knows exactly who they are. God saw them on their way over. God saw them when they knocked on the door. He's coming over to Balaam and he's saying, Who are they? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent them to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. Does it seem that Balaam knows who the people are? Isn't that amazing? That a man of God doesn't know who the children of Israel are. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them and you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. 400 miles there. 400 miles back. And they come back empty-handed and say, He didn't want to come. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. Well, at least they didn't have to make the trip twice. Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to bless, to do less or more. Oh, that Christians in the New Testament would understand. Only speak what God says. Oh, that we would only get that understanding down. We speak too many other people's words. Too many other things. We don't speak what God says. Now go over to the New Testament. Not turn there, but just in your minds. And think about when Jesus was ministering to people and calamity came into their lives. When Martha and Mary came because Lazarus is dead, what is Jesus trying to get them to do? Change their speech. When the little girl died before he got there and the people said, oh, why bother to teach her anymore? Your little girl is dead. What's he say to Jairus? Don't be afraid. Before he could say anything, don't be afraid. When he gets to the people, to the house, and the people are all wailing and making a commotion and, she, and he says, she's not dead. And they all laugh. What's he do with them? Come on inside. What's he do? Get out of here. You're not going to be around here with those words. 
I don't care what you're saying out there, but you're not going to be in here. Go out there. You can say all the words you want to. Don't be afraid of people's words, folks. Just don't get around them. Don't be, don't be out there letting the devil think that, well, if people are out there in some other place speaking against you, it's going to affect you. It will not. Because what you speak has far more power. Just get them out of your house. Get them away from you. Where do we leave off at? Verse 18, verse 19. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, and I, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So what's the condition? If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that shall you do. So verse 21. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. What's missing? They didn't come to call, did they? They didn't come to call. Now, Balaam is doing real good at, at keeping this stuff out. You know, he's got a whole lot of money being thrown at him right now. A whole lot of honor, a whole lot of riches, a whole lot of wealth being thrown at him just to come over and curse some people. And all of a sudden, he heard that word from God and he starts to envision the money. And he got so excited about it about the morning, he forgot to wait to see if they would come call him. And he just sat on his donkey and got to going. Got to going. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind. Because you're going to have a real easy time getting this picture here. Balaam gets on a what? Donkey. A donkey. What do you think the princes came riding on? You're covering 400 miles. You don't want to wait a whole lot of time. Are you riding a donkey? No. What are you riding? Horse. A horse. Horses. I think they're all on horses. Because you want to cover that territory as fast as you can. You don't have cars, but you've got horses. Let's get on the horses. Go. And they get on out there, and Balaam gets on his donkey. His donkey. I mean, that's like you. You're going out there to get somebody and bring them on back to your house. And you have a car waiting. You want to take them in the car. And, and they get in their moped. What happens when they get in their moped? To make that trip? What happens to the speed of your car? The speed of your car is limited to the speed of their... It's the exact same principle. What happens when you are driving along the road, minding your own business, at the speed limit, 45 miles an hour, and somebody pulled in ahead of you going 20? What happens? We slow down. And what happens to you on the inside? Glory to God, I was getting kind of tired of going 45. I was really hoping we had a reason to slow down here and just kind of enjoy the... No, what happens? Will you go to the speed limit? Come on! So he's riding the donkey. Everybody else is riding the horse. Can you imagine the rest of the guys? <laughs> Get off the donkey. Get on a horse with us and let's go. Like the wind. Is I'm sure they brought horse, a horse for him. He gets on a donkey. His own donkey. So, so Elijah rose in the morning, early in the morning. Saddled his donkey and went with the prince of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. So if that seems funny, it's because he went without them asking. And the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ stood in the way. If you wonder about that, just go through the Old Testament. You'll find out the angel of the Lord is the only angel who receives worship. All the rest of them stop it. Because he is worthy of worship. He is the Lord Jesus 
And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. And the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards and a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further, stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. I imagine it's kind of the same thing as us when God says don't go there and we decide to go anyway and the car has all kinds of problems. It just won't seem to go. It's, just, it's, it's a blessed car. It's been doing good for you. But all of a sudden it's not going. And you get mad at the car and you yell at the car and you do things to the car and God says I told you not to go. That's a bad place for you to be and here you are going. So that's what happened here. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me with these three times? Now, if you wonder why Balaam is striking this donkey, it's simple. We got the guys on horses that are tired of being held up by a donkey and the donkey is acting up. He has probably sung the praises of this donkey. This is a great, this donkey has been with me forever. This is the best donkey in the world. This is such a good donkey. Whatever I tell it to do, it just does it. And then first time out, it gets over there and goes off into the field. And they're thinking, why are you going out to the field? Stay on the road. You're slow enough as it is. And then it veers off again and crushes them against the, the wall. And they're thinking, what kind of donkey is this? And then finally, the donkey just lays down in the road. And you've got to be thinking, these guys are thinking, we're never going to get there. And so he's mad at the donkey because he's making the donkey's making him look bad to the people that he's going down there with. And so the donkey starts talking to him. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Most of us would be kind of surprised at the donkey talking to us. This would, this would throw us. We'd be, we would first off get off the donkey. Once <laughs> the donkey starts talking to you, aren't you off that donkey? I'm getting off the donkey. That's all. <laughs> now he sits on the donkey. He has a conversation with the donkey. Let's start talking. This is how messed up he is. He, I mean, you can get so mad at being slowed up and held up, you start talking to donkeys. <laughs> because you have abused me. I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. That's how mad he is. Well, that would take care of the problem. Then you get to walk the 400 miles on foot. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was they ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no, I'm still wondering, you know, why are we having this conversation? At some point, you've got to say, why are you talking to me? But he doesn't do that. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his, his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. Your way is perverse before me. He got his goals Wrong. In Second Peter 2, verse 15, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. In Jude chapter 1, verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the area of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. 
So New Testament documents Balaam's bad stuff. Verse 33. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have, I would have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Verse 36. Now, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send you calling for you? Why did you not come to me? And am, am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. In other words, let's quit all this stuff. I'm here. <laughs> now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. Oh, people, get this down. The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. Take the rebuke from the word of God. And understand, when we speak the words of other people, when we speak the failure words that people have spoken over us, when we speak the doom and gloom words that people have spoken around us, when we speak the failure words that people say to us, when we speak those, we are not speaking the words of God. We are speaking the words of others. We need to quit it. Too many times we are speaking words with our mouths that came from other sources. So Bilam went out with Balak and they came to Kirjath Herzoth. Verse 40, Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. So they're going out to the high places of where they worship idols to look upon Israel and to pronounce a curse. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Who are these offered to? Going to God. So we're going up to a pagan area of worship. We said, all right, uh, we're going to build altars to God here. And then we're going to offer sacrifices on them. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. Imagine this, an idol worshiper building altars to another God and then offering sacrifices to that other God where he worships the false God. I mean, he is desperate. Verse Two, then Balak did just as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each after a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and he said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So the word, so the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. Verse 6, So he returned to him, and there he was, standing by the burnt offering, by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab, and he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountain of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed, and how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him there, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? One number, I'm sorry, or number one-fourth of Israel. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like this. Then Balak said to Balaam, 
What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. Now, we already knew about Balaam, that what he cursed was cursed. What he blessed? So, he was in fear of Israel before. Now, what is he? <laughs> Terrified. So, he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? How many times have we heard Balaam say that I can only speak what the word Lord has put in my mouth? Are we that careful ourselves? And Balak, then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the other part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from there. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met with Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He has, has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord is, his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Oh, look what the Lord has done. <laughs> look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying all that the Lord speaks that I must do? We hear the phrase again. Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on the altar. Now when Balaam, verse 1 of 24, Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Now before you read too much into that word, understand that up till now, all he has done is gone away, asked God what to say, God put the word in his mouth and he came back. So instead of this time going away and hearing from God the word to speak, he says, I know what God wants to say, is what he's saying. In verse 2, And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, we can read this two ways. First off, Balaam knew that if he would go away, what God would say. And they would have to come back and say it. And maybe he was trying to sneak something in. And that's the case, the Spirit of God just came upon him and said, All right, just step aside. We're just going to take this over. We're not going to let you mess it up. Or... He knew what God wanted to say and was willing to speak it and let the Spirit of God come upon him. Either way, something happened. We know that Balaam is not completely right. Then he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the, of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision 
of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from the buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with arrows. His bow, he bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. <laughs> then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said, Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. Oh, how many times, folks, has the world told us that the Lord has kept us back from honor? <laughs> they do not know. Now, therefore, flee to your place. In other words, get away from here fast. Verse 12. So, Balak said to Balaam, Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers? Whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. Again, we hear these words. What the Lord says, that I must speak. And now, indeed, I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you what, if we had time, we'd go through it. Because, boy, does he, he uh, calls some really interesting things. But jump on down to, to uh, chapter 25, verse 1. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Well, the children of Israel sinned. This is the, the one Balaam has spoken all these great words about. And then Israel goes off and sins. In the book of Revelation, we're told why. In chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. Because you have, there are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. After we get done with the mountains, we don't hear the rest of the story. But the rest of the story is simply this. They, Balaam said, look, I really like to get paid. I made a 400-mile trip on a donkey. I like to get something out of it. So I'll tell you what. I can't curse them because I can only speak the things that God says. But I can tell you how you can bring these people down. Send your woman on over there. Lure them in. Bring them into your sacrifices for your idols. And when you do that, God will be turned against them and you won't have to fight them. God will. And if you read the rest of chapter 25, you'll find out that many people died because of this. So it almost worked. But it was stopped. But Israel was affected by this. And God was very mad with Moab at doing this and punishment comes later. But do you see how important it was for for Balaam, speak the words of God. I can only speak what God tells me to speak. That's all I can speak. Whatever God says, that's all I can speak. 
And yet we go out and we will speak the words of economists. We will speak the words we read in the newspaper. We will read, we will speak the words of the people on the TV news. We will speak the words of the doctor. We will speak the words of relatives who have spoken negative things to us. We will speak the expectations we have because of past failures. We're not speaking the words of God. We need to speak the words of God. What has God said? What has God said? Not talking about people. Talking about God. For your situation, what has God said? Whatever He said, that you should speak. What he said about what has he said about your condition? What has he said about your problem? What has he said about the thing that you face? Are we seeing a situation and speaking a problem? Or are we seeing a situation, seeing God's answer and speaking it? In the same way that the ten spies created a problem and the two spies created a solution. The children of Israel had a choice as to which one to follow. They chose wrongly. They went the wrong way. What does God say about your situation? That's what you should speak. We already do it. What has God said about your place in heaven? Are we not already speaking that? What has God said about your salvation? And that I'm saved. That will rule and reign with Him. Are we not speaking that? How many times have we laid awake at night thinking about the world and how much we don't like being in it and said, Dear Lord, I'm so looking forward to You coming. Oh, I can't wait for You to get here and this is all done. Oh, this is not a good thought. What are we doing? We're meditating on the answer. We're thinking the answer. We're speaking the things that God has said and we're perfectly fine with doing that in the area of salvation. Perfectly fine with doing that in the area of forgiveness, the area of righteousness. I understand I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I understand I am righteous even though I do sin. I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. I can speak those things. But as soon as you get me into speaking something different about a problem, about a mountain, about something that's in my way, as soon as that comes up, what happens to my speech? I become like Peter who's out of the boat and all of a sudden I see the waves. Waves were there before, folks. All of a sudden, I see a problem. People in Capernaum saw a situation. They saw Jesus, the healer, coming into their town. What did they see? They saw a problem. <laughs> Who is this guy? Who does he think coming into our town? Who does he? He's nobody. He's nobody. They created a problem. They didn't have a problem, but they saw one. They created a problem. They spoke the problem. And believe me, they had a problem. Most times, folks, we only have a problem because first off, we saw it. Secondly, we spoke it. Stop looking at Goliath and seeing a problem. Look at Goliath and see, oh, glory to God. Tell me again, what will be done for the man who kills this guy? Oh, boy, that sounds good. You tell me. Tell me again. What will happen to the man who kills this Goliath guy? What will happen? Oh, man, that sounds so good. Oh, I can see that happening. Oh, going on home to Dad. Dad, you don't have to pay taxes anymore. (laughs) 
Oh, that's going to feel so good to do. He's envisioning this. He comes up to Goliath and said, Today, I'm going to cut off your head. And he's got no sword. I'm going to cut off your head. I can see it. I'm going to use your sword. Because you're going to be on the ground. I'm going to take your sword and I'm going to cut your head off. I already see it happening. He saw it happen and spoke it and it happened. But see, we're like the rest of the children of Israel that are over there. And as soon as Goliath comes out and said, Who will challenge me? And they all run and hide. We need to have more people like Jonathan that would rise up and say, Why is everybody hiding from the Philistines? Armor bearer, come on, let's go. We need to have a victory. If no one else will go, you and I, we're going. And Jonathan gets out there and says, Hey, you down there. You want to fight? Yeah. All right, come on up. I'm ready. And so they come on up and he starts killing them off. Killing them off. One at a time. Killing them off. Killing them off. Killing them off. And it, got, it started to get catch on. And other people said, Hey, Jonathan's out there killing Philistines. Really? Hey, maybe we can kill them too. And so they go out there and they start killing. And a big battle was won. Why? Because one person saw, not a problem, but an answer. Stop talking about your problem. The Word of God, Jesus taught us in, in, in His teachings. The words of Jesus. Whoever says to this mountain, be great and awesome. Prosper. Never be moved. Crush me. No, he doesn't say that, does he? What's he say? Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Now, some of you folks are small. Some of you folks are big. But there's not a single person here who is big enough to say to a mountain, I am bigger than you. Every mountain is bigger than any person. Right? It wouldn't be a mountain. It would be a hill. There are some hills we are bigger than. He didn't talk about hills. He said mountains. So that means stuff that is bigger than you. When you face something that is bigger than you, Goliath, Philistines, when you face something that's bigger than you, don't talk about the problem. Don't talk about, oh, it's going to get me. Oh, I don't have any money and have this bill due. And Oh, it's bad. Oh, I'm going down on this one. That would be like the, the guy from the, the TV show. I'm coming to meet you. This is the big one. What was, her, what was his wife's name? Elizabeth. That's it. Elizabeth. I'm coming. This is it. <laughs> oh, come on, folks. Stop speaking the problem. Speak the answer. I have given you countless examples in the Word of God. And not a single person here has ever come up to me and said, here's a guy who spoke the problem in one. None of you ever did. So stop speaking the problem. Do what's in the Word of God. The Word of God says, speak the answer. It says, call that mountain out and cast it into the sea. It says, talk to that Goliath like it's dead. Go into that battle with the Philistines like you're winning. Or like we looked at last week, Jesus goes into a dark earth and says, let there be light. But there was no light. Most of us would say, but it's dark. Why are you calling for light? It's dark. I heard, uh, heard somebody a long time ago, they used this example, and, and your parents can relate to this. How many times have you parents called for your children when they weren't around? You didn't know where they were. We got a little dog named Tucker. It is often that we don't know where he is. He's little. 
He's tiny, and he gets off, and he gets distracted on stuff. And he's out there, and, you know, we don't, he's little. We don't want him to get out somewhere or something. So, you know, every five minutes or so, if we don't see him, Tucker! Tucker! Come here! If he doesn't respond, you know, then we have to start going to look for him. Tucker! Tucker! How many times your parents, what are you doing with your kids? You, you see your kids around? Steve! What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you not calling for something that's not here? Aren't you? We do it all the time. We constantly call for stuff that's not here. Why do you call for your kids when they're here? You don't have to. They're here. The reason you call for them is because... And you want them to come here. So you call them. Steve! Tucker! Come here. Come here. What do we all do? How many of y'all have money troubles? Don't raise your hands. Inside hands. How many have money troubles? Need money. What are you doing? Oh, God, I need money. I need money. I, oh, I'm going to die. I need money. I can't pay this. I can't pay that. Oh, God, I need money. I need money. I need money. I need money. Oh, please help me. Send some money. Send some money. Send some money. What should we do? Money, you get yourself over here. I need some. I need some money. Because the Word of God says, whatever I put my hand to will be blessed. If I'm not a forgetful hearer, then I will be blessed in all that I do. I call for it. How many of you have an ache or a pain? What should you do? Call for something that's not here. Call for it. I see that done. I see that going on. I can see that. Come on. Come over here. Stop asking God for what He's already done. Remember earlier on, we said that one of the three things, the first thing is what God has provided. We are too often asking God for things He's already provided. And you need to quit it. You need to quit it. You would get irate at your kids if every night they came to you and said, Mom and Dad, can I please have a bed? I'd like to go to sleep. Could I please have a bed? You got a bed. It's upstairs in your room. Go lay down on it. I can use that. It's okay. It's your bed. It's your room. Go lay down in your bed. Well, I just didn't know if you wanted me, if it was your will for me to sleep in that bed tonight. I know that last night it was okay, but I'm not sure if tonight, you know, if it's okay for me to sleep in the bed. Will you go sleep in the bed? And then they call me the next night. Mom and Dad, can I please have a bed tonight? We went through this last night. You have a bed. It's in your room. Go use it. Mom and Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have some cereal? Yeah, sure. It's in the cabinet. The next day, Mom, Dad, can I have some cereal? Told you. It's in the cabinet. Go get it. You don't need me to get cereal for you. You can reach the bowl. You can reach the cereal. You can reach the milk. Get it. Pour it. Eat it. Leave me alone. <laughs> and now we do. I have provided it for you. <laughs> Mom, Dad, I was working outside. I'm so hot. Can I have something to drink? Yeah, the iced tea's in the refrigerator. Go get it. Oh, would you get it for me? <laughs> you want to die? Get in this house. Get your own drink. 
Isn't that what we do? Your legs broke? Your hands working? Go get it. I have provided it for you. The iced tea is in the refrigerator. It is made. It is ready. Go get it. God has provided us with many things, and yet we keep coming to Him and said, Can I have that? Will you help me with this? God says, I have provided it. It is there. It is for you. Here. Here's, here's the instruction manual. How to use it. Here's what you got to do. Do it. Would you do it for me? Come on, folks. This is what we're doing. What does God say about mountains? Does He say, pray to God and have God remove it? What's He say? You speak to your mountain and you tell it to go into the sea. He also said you can speak to a mulberry bush and it'll be planted in the sea. You've got to think about stuff moving into the sea. Stop asking God for what He provided for you. He's already provided. Now, we haven't gotten onto the will part yet. We're going to get onto that. You should absolutely know what the will of God is. And if you don't know what the will of God is, you're wasting your time in prayer going, Oh, God, I don't know if you want this. me to have this. Find out first. Find out first. We'll show you how you can do it. You can be absolutely, absolutely positively sure that it's God's will. Balaam is later killed by the Israelites. They're instructed by God to do so. Get them. Kill them. He raised up against you guys. He's a man of God. He's a man that would speak the words of God and change situations. And God said, that's it. I'm done with him. He wanted to speak something that's not my, not my word. You think that was important to God? It absolutely was. Speak the words of God. We looked at before over in James. The, James says, be slow to speak. Slow to speak. <laughs> slow to speak. But what do we always do? We're quick to speak. As soon as we come back and we hear that bad report, what do we want to do? I got to tell somebody. <laughs> I got to tell somebody. You know what they said? They said, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die. Oh, man, I'm going to die. <laughs> right? Quit it. Speak the word. What's the word of God say? Well, what's the word of God said about heaven? Are you speaking that? What's the word of God say about salvation? Are you speaking that? What's the word of God say about forgiveness? Are you speaking that? Then why can't you speak it about health? Why can't you speak it about finances? Why can't you speak it about the other things He has provided for you? It's the same thing. If you see a mountain in your way, speak to the mountain. If you believe it, don't doubt in your heart, but believe that those things you say will come to pass. You will have whatever you said. But if you don't speak, what are you going to have? Whatever you said, which was nothing. Then sometimes we go off and we speak problems. What are you going to have? Problem. I want you, uh, this week, just go on home and meditate on this stuff. Think on this stuff. How many times did people in the Old Testament think on problems, speak problems, and have problems? How many times did people see a situation, see an answer, and speak the answer? Which outcome do you like better? Then go with it. Whatever one you like better. But every single case in the Word of God, they, either, they were in a situation, they either saw an answer and spoke the answer, or they saw a problem and they spoke a problem. Look at the end result. Which one do you want? Whatever end result you want, go after it. Speak the problem, have the problem. Speak the answer, have the answer. You find someone else who spoke the problem and had the answer. You find one person in the Word of God who spoke the problem and had the answer. I can show you hundreds 
of people who saw an answer and spoke it and had it. Who saw a problem and spoke it and had it. Stop creating problems. Glory to God, let's create some answers. Let's get this out of our head belief and get it into our heart belief. We didn't finish this off yet, did we? Here we go. Four things. Four things. Know the Word. Know the Word. Believe the Word. Know the Word and believe it. First off, you've got to know what the Word of God says. Know it. Learn it. Take it in. Hear it. Then believe it. Speak the Word and do the Word. Speak the Word and do the Word. Know, believe, speak, do. KBSB or KBSD. You know, they got that what would Jesus do abbreviation. You use this one instead. KBSD. What's KBSD mean? Know the Word, believe the Word, speak the Word, do the Word. That's it. Know the Word, believe the Word, speak the Word, do the Word. Here's what most people are doing. Know the problem, believe the problem, speak the problem, do the problem. And we wonder why it's not working. Know the Word, believe the Word, speak the Word, and do the Word. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to work. (sighs) Know the Word, believe the Word, speak the Word, and do the Word. Folks, you already do this in salvation. You already do this in righteousness. You already do this in forgiveness. You already do this with heaven. Just expand it and do the same things in other areas. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you for your word. In your word, Father, is life. In your word is the answer we need. Help us, Father, as we endeavor to delve into your word more. To know the word of God. As we meditate on it, Father, we choose to believe that word. We speak the word of God out of our mouth. And we do the word of God. We're not a forgetful hearer. We're one who does it. We continue in it all the time. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. We are not forgetful hearers. We are those who believe. We are those who see the answer. We look at a situation and we see the answer of God in it, not the problem. We speak the answer, not the problem. We have the answer, (laughs) not the problem. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us. No matter how many times we have failed, we have gone the wrong way, we have created our own problems in the past, Today is a new day and we can start new. We can change and go into a different direction. Thank you for the help that you